It's been such a good week uh, in light of what's happening in our community and around the world. Uh, standing in the center of that, I'm uh, so grateful to be part of Grace Community Church, to see our team that went out and visited and spent time with our family in Cambodia and Thailand. They're growing up and loving Jesus more, and it just makes my heart uh, swell with praise when I see how well they're doing. And, uh, and then watching many of you this week jump in and help others and, um, and even not even just help, but pray and support and give and, and give your time. And this week, uh, by God's grace, uh, we were able to be a, a Red Cross shelter and to help out those who have been displaced, Salvation Army, incredible, incredible uh, parachurch ministries, and we came alongside of them and just assisted them and helped them. And we had uh, people that stayed with us that were displaced, and even uh, right now, last night, uh, some families and some individuals slept here at our church. Uh, it brings my heart great joy to know that we can jump in the midst of that. And the reality is this, when we love something, we enjoy talking about it. And so when you love Jesus, or you love a person, or you love a team, love someone, at some point after spending time with you, someone will walk away and say, you really love them, don't you? You really love God. And sometimes we take our situations and they consume us. And that's all we see. And we get lost in what God is doing around us and in us instead of thinking that our God is in complete control. And even in the midst of all that took place this week, um, there are stories are surfacing how the Lord jumped in and helped people. And, and this week we had individuals that were helped, and I'm grateful to be part of Grace. Here's a story that someone who's staying with us. Take a look at this. So tell us your name. Uh, my name is Jeff Stewart. Hey, Jeff, tell us uh, how you got here and um, why you're grateful uh, to be here. Uh, well, how I got here was uh, uh, through the flood of 2018. Uh, your apartment complex was kind yeah. of what, and how did you find out about Grace Community Church and even uh, that this was a place for you to be? Uh, well, when I was displaced, I was one of the last ones to leave the apartment complex. And then uh, they bust me around to several different places. And then uh, finally, they, and I ended up here at uh, Grace Community Church. Uh, it's been a very uh, moving experience being here. Uh, they've taken very good care of us. Um, let me ask you this. Uh... Uh, what would you like to say maybe to Grace and uh, uh, to the people who who have uh, been here to help you out? What would you, what would you like to say to them today? I want to thank them very much for taking such good care of us. They uh, went out of their way above and beyond to make sure that everything was taken care of properly. How could we pray for you from here on out? Like, what would be something that we could pray for you, continue prayers, even beyond the flood? Anything we could pray for you about today? Uh, just uh, to be safe, to be uh, happy and enjoy the rest of my life, and to stay in, in this area, and for every, everybody that's been uh, displaced, for them to be safe. Uh, we're grateful that you're here, and we're glad that we can help you out. God bless you, brother. Thank you. It's been a great opportunity. Yeah, praise God. Uh, for your help jumping in and serving. And, but when you love someone or love something, you cannot go without talking about them or telling someone else. And by the time 
Someone spends time with you, they walk away and say, wow, you really love that thing. You really love that person. You really love that. And the world is watching us. And this week we had a chance for people to say, wow, you really love God. You must really love Jesus that you were willing to step into the midst of that. John tried to write this out in the New Testament, and he gave us some incredible words that we can apply to our lives in times of chaos and in times of need. And he's going to show us what our responsibility is so that the world will know that we love Jesus. Grab your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand today. But turn to 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 16 to 18. 1 John chapter 3. Stand with me as we read this. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. And these are John's words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to us today. Let's read these out loud together. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Let's read together. This is how we know what love is. Stop there. Look at what he says. This is how we know what love is. Okay, read on. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. Let's read 17 and 18 again. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You may have a seat. When we genuinely, and I'll say this, when we genuinely love God, we want others to love him too. There's no doubt about that. When you know what Jesus has done for you, you want others to love him too. They should not be able to shut you up. There should be this... As Jeremiah said, this fire burning in your bones, in your heart, that you cannot contain it. When you spend time with son, you'll soon find out with that person what team they like. You'll find out what food they like. You'll find out what kind of cars, school. You'll find out TV programs, a product. The list goes on. When you love someone, at some point in the conversation, you will talk about them or talk about it. I remember one of the first times that Anne, my wife, was coming to our home in Maryland during a Christmas break. She lives in Michigan. We went to college together at Grace College. I was going to pick her up in Pennsylvania and bring her, because her grandparents lived there, bring her to our home in Maryland. And basically, for one of the first times, for her to, to, to be introduced to my family. And so prior to that, because I was falling madly in love with her, I was telling them everything I could about her telling her all the things I love about her and, and how we met and things I enjoyed and, and, and all these incredible characteristics and attributes about my wife that are still true today. But it was nonstop. Like, I, you, you, I can't wait till you meet Anne. And when you meet Anne, you'll notice this. And, and so at some point, they're realizing, wow, you must really care about her. And so by the time she met my family, she walked into this, this home and they already knew a whole bunch about her. And I remember in conversation with Anne, in and, and, and not so certain words, she said, wow, 
it's like they know me. I said, I've been talking about you to them. But when you get to know someone and you love them, you can't shut yourself up about them. And John is telling us here that you will not be able to shut up you if you love God. This is what love is. And not only when you love, but you'll do anything for them to show them that you love them so that they can see the love of God in you. Verse 16, look again at verse 16 and 17. He says this, he says, this is how you'll know what love is. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? When you really love someone, you are pained by their situation and their circumstances. Let me just ask a very personal question. Were you this week pained in any way? Or were you so wrapped up in your own little world, your own little problems, that you were so narrow focused only on you, and you became the center of your world while all around our community and surrounding communities, people were struggling with eight foot of water in their basements, four foot in their, or four inches or five inches, six inches in their homes. They were bailing out water with pumps and, and people were being placed into homes. Did that even bother you or did you become the center of your own world when the word of God says, if you see and you know and we don't use our own material possessions or our own actions, then we have to ask this question. Does the love of God live in us? Did you do anything this week with your possessions? Did you do anything with your time? Did you jump in, ask if you could help? Did you volunteer? Did you, John said, if the love of God is in you, they won't be able to shut you up in words, especially in your actions. In a book that I read recently by J.D. Greer, he covers this not God enough. And he says this. He gives a quote by Charles Spurgeon. And it's an incredible quote that really, really, really impacted me. And I want to read it to you. Charles Spurgeon said this many years ago. He said, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here, he said, is either a missionary or an imposter. Do people literally, after spending time with you, see it in your eyes, see it in your actions, see it in your hugs, see it in giving? Did this week somehow they say, wow, you must have Jesus in you. You must be a believer. And if you're a believer, you cannot look at the world without having pain and compassion to help them. Sometimes when we talk about evangelism, we talk about it in the strangest ways as if we're not able to. We say things like this. We will wait till we are prompted by the Holy Spirit to share with someone. And since you already know what happens to someone who doesn't know Jesus, how in the world can we never strike up a conversation with them? How can we never? Like we're saying, when I'm, in, when, I'm, when, I, when I'm impacted by the Spirit, when the Spirit prompts me, then I'll share it. Let me tell you, we have been commanded 
to share the good news. We have been called to do the work of an evangelist. So if you're still waiting for the prompting, guess what? It's already been written many, many years ago. This is our chance to jump into the chaos of people's lives and to tell them about Jesus. By the way, once you know what you've been saved from, you want other people to have what you have. We have been saved by his extravagant grace. And the question is this. We, are you sharing that good news? In the gospel, people ask me, Pastor Jim, what should I say? I say this. Tell them your story. I was once lost, far from God. And I was talking to this person. I was listening to music. I was in a service. I, my mom and dad told me, and, and they told me that there was this God that came and sent his son Jesus, and, and, and if I trusted in him and salvation and his grace, then I would be saved. And you know what? It's true. Jesus' name, amen. Just tell your story. There's not a program. There's not a, a certain plan. It's just, it's just your story. Just converse. Just like you talk about other things that you love. Is it so confusing to talk about your football team that you root for? Or if you're a hunter, or, or, or you, you like crafts, or you like to paint, or you like to play music. We'll just talk about music and chords. And sometimes I hear people talking about, wow, like, you really love that, don't you? The same thing should happen to us. Do people know after spending time with you that you love Jesus? They will. They will by your actions and your words that you live out in front of them. Verse 17 is, 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 is a powerful, convicting, affirming, challenging, good verse for us. And John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? It's the very thing that sent you across the world. It's the very thing that you've been giving to. It's the very thing that sent us across the street this week to help our neighbors. You know, if you find yourself not regularly bothered by the needs of others, then it's probably a good time to pull away and say, Lord, break my heart again. Break it again, God. Because I've become the center of my world, my problems, my needs. And let me say, if you want to be filled with joy, if you're lacking joy in your life, Jesus said he sent out the 70 and 2. And when they came back after sharing their faith, they were filled with joy. You want to be filled with joy? Share your faith. Dig into someone's life and help them. Can I get just one amen out of that? When you take your eyes off of you and your concerns, and you look at this world that needs Jesus, it should pain you, and it should push you into action, and the love of Christ should show in your hands and your life. You want to know how that happens, or you want to know if you are? Just look at your social media posts. Are you one who's telling more about your needs and your world instead of caring for the needs of those around you? Are you promoting Jesus, or are you promoting you? If someone were to wake up from a dream in the middle of the night, maybe it's some acquaintance, a coworker, a neighbor. Maybe it's someone that comes to grace. They had this dream about hell. Maybe someone you went to school with or someone that, that you're going to school with. And they had this dream about hell, that hell was real. And they realized, I could burn forever in hell. Let me ask you a question. Would they call you? Would they text you? Would they come to you and say, tell me the story? Would they even know that you're a believer in Christ? 
Would you be the first name they say, I need to talk to him. I need to talk to her because I know when I've been around them, the love of Christ just oozes out of them. Or would your team, your talent, your gift, your quest, or would Jesus be the thing that they knew? John says this, hey, if you have material possessions and there are people around you who need help and it doesn't pain you or you're not moved to compassion to help them or you didn't help them, then maybe you need to ask the question, does God live in me? I'm always intrigued by people trying to find the will of God for their lives. First off, it's never been lost. The will of God's never been lost. It's, it's pretty simple. It's open up and read. There's all kind of commands. And, and one of them in, the past, in this passage is clear. Here's the will of God. If you have something to give and you see a need and have not compassion and give not, then the love of God is not in you. Peter said it later like this in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, God is unwilling. God is not wanting that any should perish. His will for the loss is to help others know about Jesus. You might not be able to save the world, but you can offer the hope of Jesus Christ to someone. That's the essence of his will. Do something that shows the world that Jesus is your Savior. You see, what's the gospel? People ask me, what's the gospel? You and I are a mess when we're born because of our sin, and we are far from God. We can never get to God. So we need someone to come in to clean up our mess, to straighten up the sinful condition that we're in. We need a perfect sacrifice. So when that happens, Jesus steps into our lives, takes our mess if we accept it. The only way that we can get to a perfect God is if a perfect sacrifice comes. His name is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and life. If he steps in, we accept that, we get to God. There's the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not complicated. That's not hard, by the way. And praise God for his incredible grace to us. All we have to do is freely accept it, trust in him. And if you have friends that are lost, that's the gospel. I was a mess when I was born. I was far from God. But there was a God that loved me so much and loves you so much and loves you and you and you and you and you and all of us in this room so much that he came from heaven to earth. He did not only walk across the street and go to Elkhart and LaGrange and Warsaw. He came from heaven to earth. He became flesh and blood and dwelt among us, and he went and died on the cross. And because of that, we now, he took our sins. And if you freely accept that gift, you now have eternal life. Amen. Amen. That's the gift. It's not complicated. And let me tell you, that's what we've been called to share. It is. Let me ask you, when is the last time you articulated your story? Listen, your story is your own story. And the way you came to Christ could be the very way someone else comes to Jesus. Paul, just distraught in Romans chapter 9. Turn to Romans chapter 9. He, he, here's, here's a man that once executed Christians and told people to kill Christians. And he was saved on this Damascus Road experience. And, and then God not only saved him, but said, hey, Paul, I want you to write through the Holy Spirit 13 books of the Bible. And in Romans chapter 9, Paul says this in verse 1. Paul says this, verses 1 to 3, says, I speak the truth in Christ. He says, I am not what? What's the word? Lying. Look again. He says, I speak 
the truth in Christ. Paul says, and by the way, I want to let you know, I'm not lying. My what confirms it? What does he say? My conscience confirms it through the what? I have great what? Sorrow and unceasing what? Anguish in my heart. He said, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. Paul hardly, and I'm telling you, if you know Paul and you've done you know his race, he hardly ever had to reassure. He just told it like it was. Like, here's the truth. Take it or leave it. But in this case, his heart comes forward. He wants to reassure the people of his sincerity and his love for them. And he says, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. And listen, my conscience is clear with this. In fact, the Holy Spirit will test. This is how I really feel. And he says this, if I could die, and if it meant that I would be cursed, listen, cursed, thrown into the pit of hell so that you could be saved. Listen, he says, I would be willing to give up my salvation for you. Now that's love. That's love. That's someone understanding that there's a lost world that needs Jesus. That's someone saying that, hey, friend, I love you too much not to tell you the truth. I personally believe the reason we aren't sharing is because we forgot how much God loves us and how confident we are with him. And this leads to lack of faith. One of the saddest verses in my mind is found in Matthew. I just want you to turn there. Jesus is talking about his hometown. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Every time I read this verse, I say, oh, please, God, may that never be us. May that never be me. May that never be my family. May that never be Grace Community Church. Jesus is having this conversation in Matthew chapter 13 in verse 56 and 7 and 57 Chapter 13, Matthew 13, verse 57, and Jesus said some hard stuff, and they took some offense at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And then he says this in verse 58, and he did not, or they say, Matthew says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their what? Lack of faith. That would break my heart. If God didn't do miracles in our lives, in your life, in Grace Community Church. I've said this in a form, different form or fashion, but just, just hold on here. At the end of a service, just imagine someone, two people walking down. One people comes, person comes to my left, one comes to my right. This man was born with a leg that was four inches short. So the elders surround and he asks for prayer and we lay oil on him because he asked to be healed of his ailments, and the elders pray, and, and then we pray, and the Lord restores his leg, full length. And we're all amazed at this miracle that just took place. We're watching this and seeing it, and, and then another guy walks down, and he heard the plan of salvation. He was lost. And he prays to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He moves from death to life. Gloriously saved. Let me ask you a question. In your mind, which miracle would you walk away and say, that is incredible. That 
is more important. We need to tell the world about that. Meanwhile, this person leaves, potentially not knowing Jesus. And here is a person that is gloriously saved. Think about it. Headed to hell. Now has, as we understand as followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And everywhere he goes, God goes with him. In your mind, is the physical more important than the spiritual? That's the problem. Sometimes we're so enamored with physical things that we lose sight of the spirit beings that we are and the spirit God that we have and that there are other spirit beings that need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you lose sight of that, you stop talking about Jesus Christ and you lose your confidence in who Christ is in you. Confidence, by the way, doesn't come from your awareness of your competence but from the assurance of God's presence in your life. We don't have to walk in our own power. And when we find Christ, there's an awareness that God is with us. I think it's important that, that, that we watch a human being. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. Here was a man that God had calling to help and lead his people. Exodus chapter 3, Moses he says, I want you to go, and I want you to do this. I want you to help. I want you to lead. I want you to take my people out of, out of Egypt, and I want you to take them into the promised land. But watch Moses' response. Exodus, Genesis, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11. Watch what happens here. Verse 11 says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will what with you? What's it say? Be with you. And this will be a sign to you, Moses, that is, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go, though, to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what Shall I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites who ask you this. I am has what? What's it say? Has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever the name you shall call me from generation to generation. These verses shed light on the human condition if we don't know who's with us. We lack confidence. We're insecure. When we forget that God is with us and in us, we choose not to walk in the power that resides in us. Look at the progression with Moses. He says, I can't, I can't, I can't. What if, what if, what if? And God says, I am, I am, I am goes with you. Yet insecurity is what will shut you down from jumping in and helping and from sharing the good news. Insecurity is that voice that whispers, I can't succeed at this because I am not filling the blank enough. Just think about Moses. Very relevant person, much like many of us. Think about his list of insecurity that he had piled up in his mind. The Israelites rejected him. He had killed a person, murderer. 
And Pharaoh wanted him dead. He wandered in the desert for 40 years before God had asked him to lead the people out. And for 40 years, he was a shepherd. And this was the least desirable job in ancient Middle East. By the way, shepherd, being a shepherd wasn't the kind of job that everyone said, I want to be a shepherd. Plus, think about this. These sheep that he took care of for 40 years before God had called him to lead the Israelites, they weren't even his own sheep. They were his father-in-law's sheep. So picture this. Now, just bring it down the lake. So if you're 80 years old, which Moses was at this time, and living in your father-in-law's basement and managing his pets, that's a failure on multiple levels, isn't it? That's where he was at. And so he was, kept looking at, oh, I can't. This is all I've ever done. I'm a nobody. God, send someone else. I'm not capable. Insecurity is the very thing that keeps you and I from sharing our faith. Think about it this way, though. God didn't reinforce his ego with positive thoughts and reminders. He just said this to Moses, I am is with you. And hear me out, the same I am that was with Moses is with you and I who have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing that God calls us to do that he won't help us to do it. You see, his insecurities, hear me out, kept him from seeing how God had actually been preparing him for the task of leading the people. Think about that for a second. Sometimes that gets lost in Moses' life. For 40 years, he was a shepherd in the very same wilderness with sheep that he would one day take sheep, people, and lead them through the same wilderness. So he got familiar with the roads. He got familiar with the cliffs. He got familiar with where the water was. He got familiar with where the animals were that wanted to attack. He came, became familiar. And so he was wondering, why am I the shepherd? Why do I have to stand out here in the pastures and sleep at night and become a gay? Think about this. For 40 years, he led sheep through the very wilderness where God was going to take the people of Israel. God had been writing Moses' resumes for years years and years and years and he might be doing the same thing for you with what you're going through right now you might be saying why do I have to go through this this is too hard this is difficult and if you keep looking at you and think oh poor me instead of saying God must be preparing me second Corinthians 1 because I've walked through this I'm going to walk someone through what I just walked through and I'm going to look at them and say God is with you You see, if you keep focusing on your problems and you've lost your joy, you've made you the center of your universe. So John said, if you see someone in need, you have material possessions, gifts, and talents, and abilities, and you're too focused on your own stuff, and you don't jump in and help them, how can the love of God be in you? It's a good question to ask. God was telling Moses, like he's telling you and me today, it doesn't really matter who you are. It only matters who I am. You see, part of our problem is that many Christians think that God's mightiest works and his miracles 
are things of the past. Hear me out, Grace Community Church. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are his people. And he is the living God. And the same I am that was with Moses, listen to me, listen to me, is with you. And you can do far more than you ever thought possible. Not because of your own talents and ability, but because the I am is with you. You see, when you are feeling insecure, you have forgotten that God is with you. Do you ever think God thinks, and he looks at your situation or whether you should share your faith or help out, do you ever think, he looks at it and says, boy, I don't know if I can help you with that one. (laughs) No. It breaks his heart when you forget that he is the great. I am. You see, feeling insecure is the prerequisite to being used by God to spread the gospel because when we are weak, he is strong. (laughs) I find it interesting that the author said this in regards to some of these thoughts, and I just want to read them to you. It's, It's worth hearing today. He said, so you feel insecure. Ha, Scripture says you don't even know the half of it. He said, you're so weak, that you can't even guarantee you'll be alive tomorrow. You're so powerless that it is a sin even to give someone an absolute guarantee of what you'll do tomorrow. You're like a wisp of smoke, even the slightest shift in wind direction, and you're gone. In the scope of the universe, you're so small and insignificant that you don't amount to a grain of sand on God's ocean floor. And then he says, at this point, you might be thinking, what kind of chapter is this? <laughs> Thanks, J.D., for making me feel so small. How can I ever have a bold faith after that pep talk? Then he says, as Louis Giglio says, the point is not to make you feel small. The point is for you to realize that you are small. God wants us to see that we indeed are not. But it doesn't matter because the God who calls us is the I great I am. You see, God doesn't come looking for assistance. He comes looking for us. So when you have a tendency to say these things, this is how God responds. You might say, how am I supposed to know which way to go? God says, I am. When you say, I'm not very skilled, God says, I am. When you say, I'm not sure who I can trust, God says, I am. No one is listening to me. God says, I am. We can't get pregnant. I am. They stole my retirement savings from me. I am. Everyone thinks I can't do it. I am. What if I fail again? I am. I can't hold on. I am. I need a fresh start. I am. I need a drink or a fix or a hit. I am. I feel so alone. I am. Come on, church. It's time for us to live to the redeemed potential, not because of what we're capable of, but what we have through the great I am. You see, God doesn't come looking for assistance. He comes as the great I am. When you love God, listen to me, when you love someone, you can't go a day without telling someone about them. 
Have you ever wondered what it means to break a commandment? And as I was processing this week, this came to mind. There's this one commandment that most of us partially understand, but not fully understand. And one of the Ten Commandments says this, and it's so relevant to what we're talking about today. One of the commandments says this, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And to be quite frank, we partially understand that. That means don't use the Lord's name flippantly. And by the way, nothing angers me more. You can say any curse word under the sun, but if you say my God's name in a curseful way, I'm coming after you. That bothers me because his name is holy. His name is above all names. And every knee will bow and tongue confess one day his name. But it's so much more than that. And it even helps me understand our insecurity. It means, here, here's what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. Listen, we get this one, this helps. It means attaching God's name to something without living up to the responsibilities and opportunities afforded to his name. I'm going to repeat that because this is important. To take the Lord's name in vain, it means attaching God's name to something without living up to the responsibilities and opportunities and forward it to his name. When we say we are Christians, we are saying we are, that God lives in us. Let me give you an example. Think about it this way. There once was a girl named Ann Bortner. And on hopefully one of the greatest days of her life, <laughs> she became a brown. And on that day, she took my name. Everything that was mine instantly became hers. She had full access to my savings account and a claim on every day of my future. Failing to take that into account when she thought about her future would be taking my name in vain. Imagine, you know, just imagine with the story here. This is imagining. That she had been poor and I was extraordinarily wealthy. That's just imagine. <laughs> but after we married, she still refused to write checks from our account because she feared the balance was zero. She would have taken my name in vain by doing so. You see, you take God's name in vain when you fail to live in the awareness of the strength that the great I am has placed in you. Come on, are you getting that? You're taking his name in vain because you're not living to the potential and the responsibility and the opportunities of making his name great. So hear me out. So when insecurity paralyzes you and you think, well, I can't share my faith. I can't help someone. I don't know how. Even though God commanded us to do so, and you stop there. Hear me out. And you stop there. Listen, you and I have taken the Lord's name in vain. So when insecurity paralyzes you, and you say, 
I am so dysfunctional and my family is so dysfunctional. He says, but I am so complete. When you say, but I'm so deficient in that area, he says, but I am so sufficient. When you say, I am so doubtful, he says, but I am so faithful. When you say, I am so sinful, he says, I am so gracious and forgiving. When you say, I am so weak, he says, I am so strong. Hear me out. And to whatever we are not, whatever we need, whatever we did not get from our parents or our teachers, whatever we are not getting from somewhere else, God thunders back, I am. You see, God uses people, even like Moses and you and me, who are weak in themselves, but strong in him. You see, in the Christian life, it's dependence on God, not self-sufficiency, that's our objective. Back to the initial thought. When we love something or someone, we enjoy talking about it. And when we see the needs of the world, it should compel us. It should pain us. It should project us. It should move us. It should get us up off of the couch and say, the great I am, I'm going with you. See, the world desperately needs Jesus. and Don't ever let your fear and insecurities keep you from telling them about Jesus. See, Moses followed through. Because he knew that God was with him. Even though he was initially trying to bail out. So what's that mean to you and me today? Let's, let's bring. Listen, we just had an incredible flood in our community. Did you do anything? Seriously, don't, just you. Did you do anything? Or did you just watch through social media and say, oh, it's horrible? Did you share posts and say, oh, it's horrible? Did you, do, did, did you volunteer? Did you take your gift? Maybe you're an electrician. Maybe you're a drywaller. Maybe you just know how to use a broom. Maybe you know how to use a shop bag. Maybe, maybe you have sump pumps, and, and, and maybe you know how to hug. Like, I'm just going to go hug her. <laughs> girls for girls, guys for guys. <laughs> maybe you know how to make cookies. And, and maybe you're a cook, and you know how to make food. And Like, we had... Hundreds of people volunteer. In fact, we had so many people volunteer this week, we had to say, we don't need your help. We had people had to do background checks. They, they, for the first time, they've been background checked. And by the way, you're all good. <laughs> so what does that mean to us? Here's what it means. We have a chance to help our community, not, not just Goshen, like LaGrange and South Bend and Elkhart and, and Paris and Warsaw and Mishawaka and The world needs to know that the God that you love loves them. And if you have material possessions or a gift or talent and you're not using it, then how can the love of God be in you? How much time did you spend this week on your own stuff while the world around you was crumbling? Did you jump in? We're going to give you a chance.
in the north foyer, and in the west foyer, and in the link foyer are tables. And on these tables are lists. And it says name, address, and phone. I want to give you a chance to say, I'm willing. I'll sign up. I'll help. And we're going to try to coordinate with local authorities who have something set up in place and, and coordinate with you. And, and we're going to try to do our best to help. But I believe it begins with us. Some of our own, some of you, our family, right here at Grace Community Church, you've been bailing water all week. Some of you got sandbags packed up four feet high. Some of you, do you even know? Did you even volunteer? We have people who have torn drywall out of their houses and carpets piled up, and many of you have jumped in. This is our chance to help our family, too. Wouldn't it be awesome if we just inundated them, lined up, and we took the weariness? I spoke to a couple after the first service, the Frymans. She was weeping, just saying, thank you. Thank you for helping. Thank you. And now you're, you're going to send more people. And she said, we're weary. We're tired. So here's what I want you to do. If you need help, now listen. If you need help drywalling, if you need help someone to sweep, if you, you need help tearing stuff out, and you need, you need carpet layers, and you need people that just who know how to use a broom and a, a mop, we want you to sign your name there too. There's a list that says, I need help. And may we be the people that surround our own and help them. So please, listen to me. Listen. There's probably not a person in here that can't do something. So what's that mean? Pray, ask the Spirit. Don't run by that table unless you prayed. And ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, do you want me to be used? I think I know what the will of God is. If anyone has material possessions, if anyone sees a need and has no compassion and isn't pained by it, then maybe, just maybe, the love of God is not in them. Oh, Lord, I pray that people will be one to Jesus I pray that this community, 150,000 people who are unchurched. Lord, I love this because we've been praying, Lord, we want to reach him. Well, you just gave us an incredible opportunity. And I pray, Lord, that we would jump in. And God, I pray that somehow you would orchestrate all this and administrate all this and give us all opportunities and, and that we would become the hands and feet of you, God so that the world knows that we love Jesus and Jesus loves them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.